Hello, aliens. Welcome back to Area 51 and a Half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. I am your host, John Allen, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Snyderman501, Nick Snyder. Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. You can find us on social media. That is Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at the area 51h you can also find us on facebook by looking up area 51 and a half yes and we would love it if you would interact with us on facebook yes we would now aliens we have a special episode this week this week it is my co-host john's birthday yes it is my birthday today it is and as such we'll be asking him a few questions later on just to help celebrate his birthday a little bit here on the podcast aliens so, before we get into that, though, we have a very special announcement to make. We have a big announcement to make. Huge announcement. On September 17th and 18th, Area 51 and a Half will be one of the featured podcasts at London Comic Con. To be clear, that is London, Ontario. We do not get to go to London, England. That would be a very long journey for us. But it would be amazing! It would be, but we're going to be at London Comic Con and we're going to have a table there. So if you want to come visit us, you can. We'll have some raffles. Uh, it'll be a good time. We look forward to seeing everybody there. Yeah, and they've got a good lineup, too. They have Dana DeLorenza from Ash vs. Evil Dead, Billy Zane from Titanic, The Phantom, Robert Picardo from Star Trek Voyager, and a plethora of other things, Carrie Payton from Walking Dead. That is super exciting. And speaking of exciting, or at least I was excited for it, House of the Dragon premiered a couple of weeks ago. Now, we've we've seen the reaction people have had to this show. Yeah, the reviews are huge. Yeah, it has been a massively positive reaction. And to be very, very clear, we're not understanding why. We don't get it. Now, I'm not sitting here saying it's bad. I don't think it's bad, but I also don't think it's particularly good. So what I mean by we don't get it is we don't really get the hyperbolic reviews for this. No, I I am not getting the love for it. It looks good. I'll yeah. give it that. It has fantastic production values. The dragons are great. Sure. Who doesn't love a dragon? The story's not there. The performances, while they're fine, they're just not connecting with me. I'm not buying it. Yeah, Nick, I don't care about a single character in House of the Dragons. They haven't given it, they haven't given us anything to care about, period. It's, it's just one of those things where, I mean, I realize that the Game of Thrones universe is a slow burn. Like, you have to sit there and watch it, and then they'll give you some gasp at the end of each episode. Yeah, exactly. And I'm still not really seeing that. When comparing it to the original Game of the, Game of Thrones TV series, which I was a huge fan of, the for me it was the characters. You had all these different characters that resonated with you. I loved Robert Baratheon, and even going past the main characters, they had uh, like the Swordsmaster, who was a neat little character that they introduced. Yeah, I mean, when you sit there and you talk about the characters and what happens to them, you get invested in the characters. I always think about the Red Wedding as a prime example of things that just made me take my hands and, and cup them in front of my face with this gasp where they wiped out all of these characters at once and they didn't even get to achieve their goal. And it was shocking and it was amazing and it was all of these things. And right now in House of Dragons, you could wipe out all the characters and start over again and I wouldn't shed a tear. Same. Honestly, same. Now, I can see it getting better down the line, and we'll give our thoughts on the 
the series as a whole once the first season is done. But right now, I'm just not seeing it. Yeah, I'm not understanding the love for it because I don't even find the story that intriguing. And moving off of that onto another kind of similar show that has debuted in the past. uh, Well, this week, in fact, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Again, another heavily laden, beautifully looking, production valued project. 25 million views on its first day. Huge numbers. And positive reviews. Which, that's great, because these these projects aren't badly done. No! It's just, I'm not understanding the heavy love for them. They're just not clicking. They're not clicking for me. They're clearly not clicking for you. And I just, I mean, with, with Lord of the Rings, with Rings of Power, I can kind of get it. Because we're, I'm looking at that, and it feels like it's just hot-shotting from scene to scene. It's just... One scene, bam. Another scene, bam. No time to let it resonate. And no time to get to know the characters. Exactly. And that's one of the big problems is because in this type of show, the characters are key and you need time to get to get to know them. Yeah. Now, the, th- the thing is, I have seen some people posting about how this is an amazing show, but these people are also huge Tolkien fans. And that's something I've seen as well online. I've seen somebody criticize this thing for the story and then somebody clapped back with well haven't you read the silmarillion no i haven't read the silmarillion i don't know many people that actually have read the silmarillion and to to base your enjoyment off of this because there's going to be lots of people who haven't read all of the extended works or watching a- this or any of the works well yeah and that's the thing i I didn't read Lord of the Rings until I'd seen the original movies. But I was still able to grasp the original movies because it was proper storytelling and introducing the characters and getting to know them. Let me use the example of the Harry Potter series. I hadn't read any of the books, but I'd seen a number of the movies prior to reading the books. The way that they're scripted, I understand the characters. I understand what's going on. I understand who these people are. I understand the basic story, even though it's kind of watered down from the novels. But it inspired me to go back and read the novels. I don't know what Rings of Power would inspire me to go and read. Same. Well, I mean, and that's so far. Like like House of the Dragon, I'm going to give it the, the benefit of the doubt for the first season. Then we'll circle around and we'll give our full opinion at the end of the season. But right now, I'm just not seeing what people are hooking on to. Yeah, I think one of the problems with Rings of Power that it's suffering from is, as we have always alluded to, you can have a slow burn. That's fine. If you can't get through a slow burn, whatever. But I think that this is sort of indicative of that. When you look at She-Hulk, everything that they do is written to be rapid these days. Look at She-Hulk. The very first episode of uh, of that, we have to get uh, Jennifer into She-Hulk as quickly as possible, and I ask myself, why? So we all know from the comics that Jennifer gets her She-Hulk powers from Bruce Banner, her cousin, because he gave her a blood transfusion. Right. So why didn't they do that? Why did they not write that? They had a car accident. Why didn't the Hulk just rip out the car and she wakes up and she's in the hospital? We don't actually have to see the blood transfusion, but she's in the hospital. She wakes up and all of a sudden, boom, what the hell? I'm turning into the She-Hulk. How did that happen? And then we get the exposition. Instead, they just 
had the car accident. Oh, they both have open wounds. Oh, Bruce's blood dripped onto her and somehow got in there. Like, no. I, and that's kind of something I see in a lot of different forms of entertainment right now is that rapid fire exposition. And it's it's getting kind of maddening for someone like me, and I'm sure someone like you as well, because I like to take my time with characters. I like to take my time to get to know them, and I feel like I'm just being smushed in the face by characters. Well, and it's very messy, because it's all reliant on production value. We have to have the stunts. We have to have the the glitz. We have to have the glamour. We have to have the atmosphere. We have to have the CGI monsters. Yeah, and it gets a little boring, in a way, because here's, here's what happens with rings of power is it now suffered from too many characters that they didn't even tell us their names well and that's the thing is we we compare it to the original lord of the rings when lord of the rings starts we meet frodo we meet gandalf and we get we get an idea of their relationship and who they are then we meet bilbo then we meet samwise and we meet them in very slow succession quick succession for that movie but kind of slow succession because it's a long movie and then we're introduced to the other hobbits, then about 40 minutes later, Aragorn, and so on and so forth. We get to spend time with the characters until we meet another character, and then so on and so forth. They, the, the story unravels at a good pace. And that's what I feel, when I, earlier when I said hot-shotting from scene to scene, I feel like these, this show is not unraveling. It feels like someone's slamming down a piece of paper with an exposition on it, and before you can finish the exposition, they're slamming down another page of paper, another page, another page, until you feel overwhelmed. So, aliens, Nick and I firmly believe it's too early for us to really give deep insight into both of these projects. We're just saying that right now, we're not understanding why we're not that impressed by it, but everybody else seems to be. Yeah, that's my main problem with it. So, having said that, it is time for Nick's Roundup! And on the Roundup this week, we're going to talk a little bit first about DC Fandom. Now, if you don't know what DC Fandom is, that is DC's big convention, very much their own San Diego Comic-Con, where they announce all their upcoming projects and movies as well as casting choices things like that uh they've been doing that for several years now and this year it's been canceled now a lot of that comes down to i would say what's going on with wb discovery with discovery taking over wb which we've talked about previously as we found out wb discovery has enough money to put out to do advertising for two movies this year so I would imagine that would cut into the DC fandom budget, and it, that's why it's been canceled. It is a bit sad, because I, thought, I think we were going to get an announcement for the new Batman movie, as well as some really interesting casting announcements, but we'll just have to wait and see what comes out next year. Now, another thing we're going to mention is the Canadian homegrown star that is Avril Lavigne. She has been given a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, so congratulations to Avril Lavigne on that. And John, the uh, the Bioshock movie has found its director. Who's it going to be? It is going to be the director Francis Lawrence. He's known for his work on Constantine, I Am Legend, and Catching Fire from the Hunger Games series. Wow. Yeah, I, I like some of those movies. <laughs> now, 
this this gets back to that the point I was making though. So they're making this Bioshock movie. I've never played the video games. I probably won't go see this with you. I need to know who everybody is without the benefit of playing the game. Well, and that, I think, is one of the problems with video game movies in general, is that they kind of fall into that idea that people already know who these characters are, and they're just making them for the fans. But we'll talk a little bit that way. Sure, they're making them for the fans, but again, don't you want me to see this movie and then say, hey, I want to play this game? I think that's something we can talk about on a later show. Right now, I want to bring on, uh, just want to, going from video game movies to straight up video games, uh, high, a video game called High on Life from the creators of Rick and Morty has been announced, and it looks utterly bonkers, like absolutely insane. I showed John the, uh, the, the trailer for this video game before the show today. John, what did you think? What did I just watch? <laughs> It, it's a very strange video game, but it looks like a lot of fun. The weapons talk to you, insult you, make rude gestures and comments at you. Because look- I, I got the feeling that they were little alien beings themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's I guess that's the whole idea. But it looks like fun. It looks ve- I like really weird video games, and that's <laughs> really, really in my wheelhouse. Speaking of weird video games... Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which I have often cited as a movie I really enjoy, even though it's not all that good. There's a video game coming out based on that movie, which I'm really excited for. It's a multiplayer online game. I've seen the trailer for it, and it looks very faithful to the movie. I'm really excited for it. I have not seen the trailer for it, but I do love Killer Clowns from Outer Space. As you said, this is not an Oscar-worthy movie, but it is that fun popcorn flick type of movie, and I can imagine that playing a video game based on that would be just as much fun. I think so, too, and I, th- I think the the premise behind it does lend itself to that type of game, so I'm, uh, that's going to be awesome. Now, does it say when it's coming out? Uh, to be announced 2023, so, so sometime some- next year. All right. So, aliens, as we said earlier, it is my birthday. I am older than dirt, so you don't need to find out how old I really am. But Nick and I decided, because we were recording exactly on my birthday, that this podcast would be about Nick interviewing me and all the pop culture that I saw growing up in my life that was given birth to, basically, at the beginning. And that is an interesting thing, because you grew up in the 70s, and during the 70s, that was kind of a huge zenith for pop culture. There was so many different pop culture things that were being thrown at at kids and adults at the time. Well, everything was exciting and new, and we still had all the reruns and all of the, the leftover stuff from the 60s. Yeah, and you were also seeing like Star Wars and... Battlestar Galactica and things like that. For, yeah, for the very first time. Yeah, and that's... The, I said to you earlier that I think the 70s would have been a really neat time to grow up in because of all that stuff. As a child, yes. Uh, as an adult, I don't know that it was that great because they did have a lot of problems in the 70s as well. I mean, you were dealing with uh, basically some serial killers. You were dealing with Vietnam. You were dealing with... Uh, high inflation gas prices you were it kind of sounds like today (laughs) it really does okay so let's go back to your childhood 1970s what was and i'm sure the the choices back then were really different than they are now but what was your favorite toy 
growing up as a kid or one of your favorite toys um well if i'm going back to like my early childhood days um again this is before action figures this is before star wars was huge and gave birth to those types of things um i as a child child a little boy i really liked the fisher price line and specific from the fisher price well they had everything i mean fisher price had everything They, they gave you these little um toggle type of men and women to play with right and they were cute uh and you could get uh, an airport you could get uh, a ferris wheel you could get a merry-go-round you could get all kinds of interactive things and, and the the ferris wheel was actually a music box you'd wind it up the ferris wheel would go you put your little men in it and it would go and it would play in the good old summertime cool You would have been part of that first generation of kids that grew up with Saturday morning cartoons, right? Yeah, I mean, I probably, Saturday morning cartoons probably started sometime in the 60s, I want to say. Um, So, of course, that just continued on into the 1970s and 80s. And I think it was somewhere in the 90s that they kind of started having different kind of shows for kids and on saturday morning like there would be things like popular mechanics for kids yeah 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 like the there, there is a whole thing there with with uh educational shows but with your yeah in the 70s hanna barbara basically dominated saturday morning yeah like yeah. You, you would see like reruns of the flintstones there'd be scooby-doo there would be the laugh olympics and there would be all of these great shows and some of them lasted uh, a while and some of them you know, didn't last more than, say, a season or whatever. But one of the exciting things to do was that they used to have, on a Friday night, they would show this special. NBC would do it. ABC would do it. CBS would do it. And it would show all of the great cartoon lineups that were coming in the fall for you to watch. And what an exciting thing that would be because we didn't have VCRs. We didn't have dvds we we couldn't just watch something whenever we wanted to you had to watch it then and there and heaven help you if the cable was out now give me an idea what were some of the shows that you really enjoyed like that really have stuck with you over the years um you know the dungeons and dragons cartoon was one of my favorites it's got a beautiful end score that a lot of composers have even andre ryu the violinist have done this score you know, it, I think it was a bit ahead of its time. It was based on the popularity of the role-playing game of Dungeons & Dragons, which was huge in the 1980s. Um, another one I liked as a kid, of course, was Scooby-Doo. And I just could not get enough of Battle of the Planets. Yeah, yeah. You've mentioned that to me before. And that show is based off of anime, correct? Well, it is anime. It's not based off well, of it. yeah, yeah. It is anime. And the thing of it is... It's known as Gachaman, I think, in, yeah. in Japan. And it was Battle of the Plants here because this has to do with distribution and has to do with all the rights to have it. And I was, I had my mind blown within the last couple of years when I discovered that the names of the characters are completely different in Japan versus here in North America. Yeah, it's it's interesting how they make those changes, especially due to distribution rights. Uh, toy rights come into it and all that as well. Yeah, I, I, I mean, love that stuff. Seven's Arc 7 doesn't even exist in Japan. All right, John, so let me ask you, what is Seven's Arc 7? So Seven's Arc 7 was supposed to be the robot that basically ran Center Neptune, which is where the, the G-Force 
gang hung out until they detected some uh, some shenanigans that they had to go and and deal with from uh, Zoltar, the main villain from right. uh, I, the the planet that they're from escapes me right now. I think it's like Planet Nebula or something like that. But I mean, it was a great cartoon and it was wonderful to come home and see that um, after school and to, to just absorb another culture, even though I didn't know I was absorbing another culture. And yeah, like shows like this have not necessarily the show, but shows that have been transplanted from Japan over to North America have endured massively over the years. And some of them are dark. Like I recently rewatched um, a few episodes of Astro Boy, the, the original Astro Boy when it was on. It's dark, man. Like the, the, the the whole premise is that this uh, scientist, his his son gets killed, and so he rebuilds his son into Astro Boy, and you're dealing with basically the kids like somewhere between eight and twelve, and he builds this robot, and then he just rejects the robot because the robot's just kind of running amok. He isn't really, but he's just trying to figure it out, and he's he's got this sweet little voice, and he calls him dad, and he's like, "You're not my son," and it's just like, "Oh my." gosh this is dark <laughs> that sounds utterly traumatizing okay <laughs> no, right? <laughs> don't know what else to say here that. kids enjoy <laughs> oh okay so let's let's move on to movies though so okay. i know that you love the original star wars trilogy you've right. talked about that right. ad nauseum <laughs> before but here's the thing um what's a 70s film that you really enjoyed that wasn't Star Wars. What was something that really resonated with you as a kid then, and as a and as a teenager in the eighties as well? Um, actually, I can't really go into movies uh, in the seventies because a lot of those movies were that my parents would have taken me to would have either been a Disney re-release or something like that, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of iconic movies in the seventies that I, as a child, would not have been allowed to see. So, but when you go in the 80s, I mean, this is when the whole fantasy genre was really starting to take off. You know, like you had uh, Steven Spielberg films like E.T. and Poltergeist. And then there was like The Secret of Nim. There was Beetlejuice. There was um, all, all just all kinds of great movies that seemed to be centered towards my generation gremlins back to the future i mean this is the 80s were a really great time for sci-fi fantasy and horror and just think about how iconic some of those movies are yeah and it's really interesting too nick because at that time you didn't know what was going to become iconic it's not like today where people are trying to make something iconic yeah yeah because a lot of these movies i mean a lot of the movies in the 80s were the, the technology in them were new. Some of those movies had technology that was made for them. So you don't know really what you're getting until you got it. Nowadays, it's a little bit different. And some of them were one shots, the Goonies. Exactly. So it's, it was really a fascinating time to grow up looking back because Vincent Price was still alive. I was alive before Thriller came out, before Vincent Price did his famous rap on that song. And even though it's a great song by Michael Jackson, 
I don't think it would be as good without that rap. Honestly, I agree with you. So, I mean, growing up in a time where some, like, these horror icons were alive and that they were doing very well, but also growing up in a time before Stephen King wrote his first novel, before Elvira made fun of a, of a monster movie. Mm-hmm. It's, and all of these things have grown exponentially. And now we're looking back at, at 40, 41 years of Elvira. Right? Now, speaking about Elvira for a minute, um, you actually got to meet Cassandra Peterson. I think we've talked about yeah, that in one of the episodes. Um, you said she was a really nice lady. Yeah. Um, super sweet. So let, let me ask you, though, what was what was it like when you... F- what was your reaction to Elvira when you first saw her making fun of a film? Because I don't think any of the other hosts were really um, uh, lampooning their films when they were doing them. Yeah, I... Elvira is very different from, say, Svengoolie or Superhost. That's one of the things that I grew up with. Is my sort of first introduction to monster movies was uh, Superhost show from WUAB in Cleveland. It broadcast over here. Now, let me tell you. I mean, just a sidebar, and then we'll get back to Elvira for a minute. TV was a lot different back then. My brother and I were the remote control. <laughs> you know, like oh, we want to change the channel. Get up there and change the channel. So we went over to my Uncle Larry's, and they had what we call, and people of my generation will remember it, a brown converter box. And what this thing did is it would attach to your television, and you pushed buttons, and you could flip up and flip down so you could have all these channels. But all of a sudden, our world opened up because we weren't getting just the broadcast from CBS or NBC or abc we were now getting these shows from cleveland we were getting them from ohio we were getting them from all over the place and sometimes they didn't come in clearly depending on what the weather was like over the lake yeah so watching these shows i mean this is if we didn't get that brown converter box i never would have ever known about the monsters fair ever I remember those brown converted boxes for a, a small period of time when I was a kid, and then they slowly disappeared as cable boxes became a thing. Yeah. But I, I, we didn't have them in Scotland. So when we came here, I was like, why, why does the TV come through a little brown box? Yeah. Um, it, it, it was amazing technology at the time, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> um, and it was fun. It was so much fun. But uh, again, uh, so, I was able to get the Superhost show. Right. Okay. And Superhost would show hammer horror films. He would show Godzilla movies. They do um, these, these little skits that were supposed to be funny. And then, you know, a lot of this was done through local cable because back in the day, sometimes there were no commercials. Like, because it was all local television. So I remember my mother watching a show when I was really small. And all of a sudden, it's like, it's time for a commercial break. And then I got nature pictures with music playing because they had no commercial. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that wouldn't have happened on the, the feed, but because it was coming from maybe Hamilton or London. Yeah. They didn't have a commercial to, to play. I mean, I think it's, you know, CRTC hadn't really gotten into it. So when Elvira came along, she very quickly kind of became 
the horror host supreme. Yeah. Because she had this great look about her, which was a culmination of different things. I'm not going to get into it. That is Cassandra Peterson's story to tell. If you want to uh, read it, then get uh, Cruelly Yours by Cassandra Peterson and read about Elvira's meteoric rise and the foibles and perils that she had to go through. But there hadn't been anything like her before, with maybe the exception of Vampira. Yeah. But we didn't know about that because it's not like there were reruns of Vampira for us to check out. So there was Elvira. And Elvira just, she came on the scene and worried my mother. <laughs> because she has these two adolescent boys, and then you have this gothic girl that we're just like, wow, she's great. And mom's like, yeah, and she's got a dress cut down to Venezuela and these... <laughs> These jack-o'-lanterns kind of hanging out there. Uh, but mom got over that because for my birthday, she paid for the Elvira NECA figure that I wanted so much. So that's what she gave me for my birthday. And, and she went, oh, she's really great, isn't she? So mom's kind of come along that bandwagon. But to, to see somebody like Elvira who was witty and comedic and smart and sexy and just... All of these wonderful things wrapped up into one. And then she comes out with Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, yeah. where she doesn't take any guff from anybody. You know, like she is really a great iconic figure to look up to in a way because she embraces her sexuality, but at the same time, you know, defends it from people who are just being perverts, really. You know, where she goes, hey, this is my body. It's my choice. I'm dressing like this because that's my my shtick. That's who I am. I, I think Elvira, the character, is supposed to be a witch or something like that. I think so, from yeah. Witch. But she's got, I mean, she's just really, it's really great. And when you, it, she just made all these old monster movies so much fun to watch because you're laughing at them. Yeah, she's incredibly witty. Yeah, and she's incredibly good at what she does. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned earlier Stephen King. Would I would it be fair to say that Stephen King is one of your more preferred authors? Uh, personally, yes. Yeah. He is one of my most preferred. Um, again, I think that here we are where a new Stephen King novel came out, and but they were the classics. They weren't just Stephen King kind of writing because Stephen King just writes. Yeah. You know, like not every novel he's written is is gold. Um, but I'll take a bad Stephen King novel over a bad everyday novel any day. And that's that's kind of the thing. And I know this is one of the things with us is that you, I, I, I can't imagine a world without Stephen King, without Elvira, without Star Wars. But you were there when all this stuff came to be, right? And that that's that's really interesting for me because I I. I would love to know, I would, and this is why I say I would like to go back and live in the 70s, because I'd like to know what the zeitgeist was when Carrie came out, when people were first seeing Elvira, when people were in line for Star well, Wars. Well, yeah, I mean, my generation gave birth to the blockbuster, really. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, the boomers did, too. I mean, let's well, let's, let's be real. They're, they were the ones. Well, they were the ones paying for it. You yeah. just got them to go. Well, no, my parents are not boomers. My parents are the generation prior to that. Fair. Um, but 
yeah, it's uh, it was really interesting to be there when the first blockbuster was born being Jaws, you know, and these names that are so familiar to everybody and so commonplace now weren't that commonplace. Well, and like uh, even the idea of going to a multiplex to see a movie. That's what I was about to say. Again, I have never known a world without a multiplex, but you come from a world where the, it was all sing, it was all single or maybe double screen theaters. It, no, it was here where we live. It was one theater, the Capitol, and it was single. And you had to get there to get in line to make sure that you were going to get in. And the other weird thing, if you will, um, the last eight rows were re- reserved as a smoking section. Oh, weird. You could smoke anywhere you wanted to in the 70s and 80s. Um, so going back to Stephen King for a second, though, um, you've, I know you have a huge collection of his books, uh, at home. Huge. Huge collection. Anyone, anyone that stands out as a knockdown favorite for you? Oh, so what is my favorite Stephen King absolutely. novel? Absolutely. What is your favorite Stephen King novel? Uh, my absolute favorite Stephen King novel, novel is Pet Cemetery. I, the pain and suffering that is in that movie is heart-wrenching because you he dared to do the thing that a lot of people don't dare do he killed a toddler yeah yeah um. and, 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 and all of the 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 aftermath of that right so you you get this idea of of the what would you do as a father to protect your children or to keep your family whole and he goes into the supernatural and you know you wonder if like judd has those those moments in the movie played brilliantly by fred gwynn where he he kind of sits and goes should i show him this should i not have shown him this and it was just kind of a benign thing of showing him the micmac burial ground beyond yeah the the pet cemetery to bring back his daughter's cat, Church. But the things that come back are not the things that you left there. Yeah. And so you get this really rich tale of, you know, things that are in the past maybe should be left in the past. Yeah, I I, I like that story. I really do. And Zelda is one of the creepiest things ever put to page or screen ever. Agreed. Totally agreed. Yeah, Zelda pretty much traumatized my generation. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna roll back a little bit further just to talk about movies for a second. So you mentioned movies would come as a re-release. Now a re-release when it happens now, it tends to be a big deal. But my understanding is that re-releases would happen fairly frequently. Well, especially with kids' movies. Yeah. So what what was the the kind of and I, I would assume that the you from when you were a kid in the 70s to when you were a teenager in the 80s, re-releases still continued happening. Um, not so much in the 80s, okay, but definitely in the 70s. Because they used to have a kitty matinee. And it's not like studios were pumping out a whole bunch of cartoons. Fair. Uh, like, if you look at the Ralph Bakshi cartoons, they weren't meant for kids. No, absolutely not, no. Um, but what... Was there an atmosphere to these re-releases? Was there a certain level of excitement? Or was this just kind of a, oh, the movie's back. We can go and see it again. Um, Yeah, I think it was kind of 
that, more the latter. Um, because, again, you're dealing with, oh, look, Snow White's playing. Let's drop the kids off. See you later. <laughs> I mean, it, it was really kind of weird because we were, again, they had the kitty matinee and we were just dropped off for it. My dad's like, hey, here's your money. Bye. Wow, the, the 70s really were no man's land, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, if survival of the fittest. I mean, we would just walk home alone through torrential downpours and swamp gators and fighting demigorgons and, you know, and there was a blizzard in there somewhere, too. And if we made it home alive, great. And if we didn't, eh, well, whatever. You probably... And if you did something wrong, you got smacked. <laughs> and And when walking to and from the theater, was it uphill both ways? Yeah, it was. And... You, and <laughs> And, and uh, you know, like, sometimes you get a smack just to have one in the bank, you know? Indeed, indeed. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm I'm exaggerating to some degree, but to some degree I'm not, because playground equipment was a death trap. And, like, you would pile people in the back of a pickup truck, no seatbelts, you know, in a station wagon. You see kids laying up in the, the, the back window waving, hey, and, you know, nobody cared. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember what comedian it was. But he mentioned that when he was a kid in the 70s, he would stand on the front passenger seat as his dad drove around and he would go, wee! And then as an adult, he, he sat there and went, wait, what's wrong with this picture? Well, I was standing in the front passenger let seat. Me, let me tell you, let us roll back the clock, alien listeners. Let us travel through time to September 4th, 1969, when I was given birth and then a few days maybe a week later i was brought home sitting on my mother's lap oh car seat no safety at all just your mother had to have an iron grip so that if you were in an accident you wouldn't go flying through the windshield is there a picture of this by any chance there's not oh that's a shame because no, oh yeah, okay. Well, let's talk about pictures. It's not like, hey, phone, click. There's my picture. No, you had to take pictures on an old camera with film in it. Wind the film. Took the picture. Snap. Flash. Cube. Wind the film to the next spot. You had no idea if they were blurry or red-eyed or anything. Take it to get developed, and then, like, a month later, here's your pictures. <laughs> Not even Polaroids. No, well, I, Polaroids were around. Oh, I mean. were they? Oh, I thought I thought Polaroids were the 80s, but... Uh, no. no, they were around in the 70s. Okay. Um, but, yeah, like, no automatic cameras. Everything was manual, and the flash was a big, massive thing that was on top of the camera. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine that... There are the younger generation, like your daughter, are probably <laughs> looking at this going, how did you live? How did you survive? I, I can't even imagine. I mean, this is the day before the internet. Well, actually, the internet was there, but it was military. Yeah. Um, and that's that's another thing. Like, I... The, the internet came into being for uh, home use when I was a very small child. It was very expensive. But when I was a preteen... That's when it start, started becoming more common in the home. And I still find it hard to reckon a world without the internet. Even well, though I was there before it, I still find it hard well, to... Well, they were teaching us computers, and we still didn't even have the internet. It was a, like a word processor. And I was sitting there going, what do I need to know this for? <laughs> you know. So I, I didn't take computers in high school, and it shows. <laughs> Yes, uh, but anyway. But that's what the class was called. It was called computers. 
Yeah, and that that's um that is kind of the thing. I know I know as things have, have progressed, like even when I was a kid, it was computers, but now they have programming and machinery and stuff like that. Uh, all very interesting. What it all progressed into. Yeah, but you would take computers and then separately you would take keyboarding on typewriters. Oh no, we didn't have that when I was in high yeah. school. No, the typewriters were still around. Holy crap! Oh, we were watching the other night, Uma, where they had like the Uma, yeah, Uma. The uh, they had the the really old school typewriter, and it's like I haven't seen a typewriter. Yeah, like that and since I asked I you where kid. where do they even get the ribbons from for this thing? And now, Nick, we're going to play twenty questions, aren't we? Yes, we are. Okay, I'll try to answer them as best I can. All right, we're going to start off with something simple. John, who is your favorite actor? Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Okay, what's your favorite comic book series? Uh, X-Men. X-Men? Okay, good choice. Good A- choice. 80s X-Men. 80s X-Men, okay. Yeah. Horror t- horror movie. My favorite horror movie? Your absolute favorite horror movie. The Fog. The Fog. And along those same lines, who is your favorite screen queen? Jamie Lee Curtis, of course. Of course. Now, this is this or that. Anime? Or Disney? Anime. Absolutely. Okay. Who is your favorite horror actor? An actor that is specific or well known for doing horror films? Vincent Price. Obviously. And director? Horror horror director? Yep. Oh, John Carpenter. Absolutely. Um, What would you choose? This or that? Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Friday the 13th? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Really? Yeah. Uh, Who's your favorite? Okay, listen. Let me tell you why. Okay. It's a better done movie. I mean, if you look at the the directing style, Toby Hooper did that very gorilla style. You can feel the heat. You can feel the smell of the the roadside barbecue stand and the house. And it's truly much scarier than Friday the 13th. I know everyone loves Jason more. I love Jason too. But bang for buck, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the better done movie. All right. So, who's your favorite male DC hero, and who's your favorite female? Uh, Superman and Wonder Woman. Fair choice. Same thing for Marvel, male or female? Uh, for the male, I would go with Thor. Okay. And female, I would go with... I'm going to say Storm. That's a good choice. And who's your favorite other hero, like a hero from another comic book company? Uh, Spawn. Another good choice. Simpsons or Family Guy? Simpsons. Easily. All right. What's your favorite sitcom? Uh, I have two all-time favorite sitcoms. Actually, I've got a lot of all-time favorite sitcoms. Can we boil it down to the... Top five. Give me your top five. Top five. five, um, Big Bang Theory. Okay. Home Improvement. um, Munsters. Adam's Family. And Bewitched. Good choices. All right, what's your favorite sci-fi television show? When I was a kid, I couldn't get enough of Lost in Space. Lost in Space was so good. Yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> Looking back, it's very kid's show. Yeah. Uh, it, it got very campy, but when it first started off, it was really dramatic. When it was black and white, it was very different than what it was when it went to color. I, and I can't tell you why, but I just loved Dr. Smith. I loved Jonathan Harris as Dr. Smith. He's a great character. Now, who is your favorite pro wrestler? Oh, see, this is this is interesting because I grew up in the Hulkamania era, right? Like, that's when Vince McMahon had bought out all of the, the factions. Like, you talk about what I experienced prior, right? Before. Yeah. 
I precede the WWE. I precede it when it was called the WWF. You know, when they had like Stampede Wrestling and Maple Leaf Wrestling and WCW way down here somewhere and like all of the different factions before McMahon got them all up. So then all of a sudden wrestling, there weren't as many wrestling shows. So I'm going to say, I'm just going to limit it to that era. And I'm going to say from the 80s, I would say Jake the Snake Roberts. That is a great choice. That guy was good in the ring and he was fantastic on the mic. Now, this one's a little bit a little bit off key, but whatever. I just wanted to get your uh, opinion on this. Who do you prefer? Which actor do you prefer? Samuel L. Jackson or Lawrence Fishburne? That's a that's an apple and an orange. Gosh, that's oh my gosh. Think about it though. Think about it. Um I would go Sam Jackson. Fair enough. Fair enough. And but but no shade at all to Lawrence Fishburne. He's oh, a phenomenal actor. I've enjoyed everything I've seen him in. And finally, just to wrap it up, Adam's family or Munsters? Screw you. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh my god. Um I didn't I, want to make it easy on you. I can't. No, no. That's like asking me who's my favorite child. I can't do that. I love them both equally for different reasons. So gun to your head. I'm you going to die. No, gonna die. I'm going to die. die. Because okay. here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I, I have always been attracted to blondes. Part of that has to do with... The fact that when I was growing up, there was Marilyn Munster, there was Samantha Stevens, there was uh, I Dream of Jeannie. There were all of these blondes that they just kept throwing in my face that were beautiful blondes. And people go, why do you like blondes so much? I don't know. I was indoctrinated to like blondes. So it's just one of those things that like, I, if there's a gun to my head to choose between the Munsters and the Adams family, I'm going to die. All right. I'll keep that in mind for the future. So... We're going to wrap this one up, and we're going to say happy birthday to John. Thank you very much. Uh, if you feel like singing happy birthday, do that on your own time, not ours. And Nick, remind our aliens once more how they can get a hold of us. You can find us on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at the area 51H. And just a special shout out to our number one alien, Don, who is... Going through some personal things. We're not going to get in on the air, but I just want to let her know that thank you for listening and we're glad that we can cheer you up. So we will see you, aliens, next time from London Comic Con. Woo! I can't choose between the Munsters and Adam's family. Jeez. That's that's tough. I mean, I played Gomez, but I, I love the Munsters. I'm a spy. Grand-